Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Joe Farrell didn't set out to become an expert on sudden cardiac arrest, a tireless advocate for awareness of what SCA is and isn't, a crusader for CPR training that's literally the difference between life and death, or a friendly nag about the importance of maintaining a healthy lifestyle that can reduce one's risk. But when the physical therapist himself went into cardiac arrest a decade ago and became one of the relatively few individuals statistically to survive, he felt a need to pay forward the expert assistance he'd received by doing what he could to help increase knowledge and up the survivorship rate. Retired now from patient care and keeping very busy with SCA-related activities, Joe recently stopped by APTA to tell his story and to share what he believes everyone should know about sudden cardiac arrest and what to do if you are in position, as he has been on two occasions, to render life-saving assistance. Here's our conversation. So, Joe, let's talk first about what sudden cardiac arrest, or C, uh, or SCA, is. To be clear from the outset, it's, it's not synonymous with a heart attack. W- what's happening during an SCA? Okay, you're absolutely correct in that there is a significant difference between a sudden cardiac arrest and a heart attack. Sudden cardiac arrest really is a chaotic uh, arrhythmia of the heart. It's simply, for our consumers and colleagues out there, it's an electrical problem in the heart. So you get this ventricle, the lower ventricles of the heart, they just quiver. So the heart stops beating. And there's no symptoms. People just collapse. They just drop down dead. And it's called by the medical medical profession sudden death syndrome. And this is what I experienced 11 years ago. I just passed out at a party. There was no symptoms prior, nothing. A heart attack, you have symptoms and the patient is conscious. Um, most heart attack victims have a significant heaviness in their chest. They can get indigestion. They can get arm pain in the right or left arm. They can get neck pain. They can get back pain. And I think these are important differentiators. So in the bottom line is a heart attack is a plumbing problem of the heart. In other words, the arteries are clogged that causes the pain, but the patient does not lose consciousness. If you have severe enough coronary artery disease, enough arteries clogged, then your heart can go into ventricle fibrillation, this dangerous arrhythmia, and you can go into cardiac arrest. Okay, but 70% of people that have cardiac arrest, they don't know that we don't know the medical costs. I've read on the American Heart Association's website that uh, uh, 350,000 cases of SCA occur outside of a hospital each year, and that the, car- and that the survival rate is, is less than 12%. So as, as you mentioned, you, you have actually had an SCA yourself. You are one of that uh, fairly select uh, a group of people who uh, live to tell about it. In right, fact. right. So, so um, I, I know that CPR is key to survival, and we'll talk later about your involvement in CPR training. But first... Could you kind of walk us through your incident of SCA, sort of what happened that day? Sure. Just to preface for our audience, as I mentioned previously, when you have a cardiac arrest, you pass out and lose consciousness. So um, I have no recollection of what happened. The recollection was shared with me with my wife, who was with me at a party 
in Rockland, California. We were at a professional friend's home and a memorial dinner. And I had arrived there in Rockland with my wife. And I was told I was there five minutes, and I was talking to some, a couple physical therapists and a track coach uh, who had coached my friend's daughter. And I just passed out. And I went into what they call uh, agonal breathing, which is an abnormal breathing pattern. It really is kind of like a fish breathing out of water, like, <laughs> and my, my friends apparently asked me, does this, does Joe, does this normal for him? And immediately the track coach goes, no, this isn't normal. And they called 911. He started chest compressions and breathing. And the paramedics came. I was told within about five minutes, and I was shocked nine times by an automated external defibrillator. My heart was shocked back into rhythm, and I was transported by ambulance to Roseville Sutter Hospital. I got into the, the ER, emergency room, and I was told that I went into cardiac arrest again. So I had to be defibrillated again in the ER they got me stabilized. I'm still unconscious. They took me to the angiogram catheter lab, and I had a uh, what they call an angiogram, where they stick a tube up your femoral artery in your leg and check the arteries out in your heart. And the cardiologist came out and talked to my wife and my best friend who had showed up from Danville, California, to comfort my wife that my arteries were really clear. I was 56 years old at the time. I had one artery that had a 20% occlusion they call the anterior descending coronary artery. It didn't cause my cardiac arrest, and all the blood work showed I did not have a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So I had this, they said, Joe's got this electrical problem. It's an arrhythmia, cardiac arrhythmia. We don't know what caused it. He's going to be okay. The first 72 hours are most important. If he wakes up, It'll be pretty, pretty normal. If he doesn't, we don't know. So they took me to the intensive care unit. I was there for three days, and the first 24 hours, I underwent what they call hypothermia, which is in the United States, I've only been around for 12, 15 years. And what they do is they cool the body down to 91 degrees Fahrenheit, and this is, will protect the brain. Because with cardiac arrest, you, the blood stops pumping, the oxygen doesn't go to the brain. But with CPR, that keeps the oxygenated blood going to your brain. And the hypothermia, in a sense, enhances the prevention of brain damage. So my wife, being a, a, a physical therapist, had worked in intensive care as a chest physical therapist. So she knew there was four scenarios I was going to die. 72 hours is really important. I was going to be in a long-term nursing home and be totally dependent on other people for my everything, bodily function, everything. I was going to go home and be in, third scenario was go home and be in rehab, you know, for cognitive, you know, my brain rehab, physical therapy, occupational therapy, for who knows how long. Or the fourth scenario was, which happened, thank God to me, I went home with a defibrillator in my chest nine days later with a normal brain function and a normal function physically. So it was that was a pretty intense nine days. Daughter flew out from New York City. My other daughter came in from San Francisco. They see dad all 
splayed out in bed unconscious with tubes in them everywhere and on oxygen, intubated, what they call it. That was a pretty intense nine days in the hospital. And uh, to be honest with you, it's rougher on my family than on myself as the survivor. You mentioned there's that all-important 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where within that 72 hours did you come to? I didn't wake up till about 72 hours. Wow. Post sudden cardiac arrest. Wow. And I've worked with brain injured before and people coming out of comas, and so had my wife. So for about a day and a half, I was very repetitive. My wife would go, you had a sudden cardiac arrest, Joe. And I would go, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. A thousand times a minute. And this is what happens when the brain is, has an insult. Where are you, Joe? Well, I kept saying I was in Park Forest, Illinois, where I grew up. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could laugh about it now. Right. But this, is, this, is, this was that early stage of recovery by 48 hours after coming out of my, my coma, I got it. I, my brain had really recovered. Oh, dang, I had a cardiac arrest. Wow, what's the cause? Why did I survive? And all these kind of questions evolved. Well, it, it's, it's pretty incredible. You talk about how um, it's known as sudden death. And yet, per that fourth scenario that you mentioned, you basically came out of it smelling like a rose. I mean, it took uh, nine days or whatever, but you are, you are okay physically and you're okay mentally. How, yeah. how fortunate is that? You know, less than 12% have an outcome that I was able to achieve, thank God, that suffer cardiac arrest out of a hospital. So I'm one of the very fortunate uh, few in the world. There's a lot of, how should I put it, uh, mental aspects of survival that are in the early stages of survival are difficult to deal with. Why did I survive? And, you know, 90% of most people didn't. And I have answers to that. So, you know, based on my experiences and things. If you had known then what you've subsequently learned about SCA, would it have benefited you in in any way? It sounds like not, maybe, under that scenario. No, it it really wouldn't because there's absolutely incredibly fit people around the world that suffer cardiac arrest. I know of famous world champion marathoners that have had cardiac arrest and lived. You read all the time about survivors that run 10k road races and collapse a half a mile from the finish line they get early intervention cpr early defibrillation with an aed and they survive i i'm a person i've been walking four to five miles a day for 15 years or longer i had to give up running so i took up walking so i was always been pretty fit ate reasonably well never a smoker so it's kind of like, could I do anything different? No. Um, the American Heart Association recommends that to prevent sudden cardiac arrest, you really adhere to the principles to preventing heart attack, cardiovascular disease. You know, have a good, healthy diet. Exercise 30 minutes to 60 minutes a day. Don't smoke. Really control your cholesterol. But I think the other variable that's brought into this is like genetics, I don't know in my genetic tree of anyone that died of cardiac arrest. But somewhere, I assume, in my family tree, my dad's Irish Catholic family of 10 Mm. (laughs) that I don't know about, and my other family from Norway, a large family also, I don't know that history, Eric. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big contributor, the, the data 
shows in most disease processes that genetics plays an important aspect. So for me, to answer your question simply, I don't think so. Right, right. I was pretty healthy. Right. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So you recently retired from uh, clinical practice as a physical therapist, and, and you've stated that your quote-unquote goal in your second life, which in your case has a double meaning of second career and second chance at life, right. is to ensure that sudden cardiac arrest becomes a quote-unquote household term. Uh, I want to ask you, Joe, why is it so important to you that uh, sudden cardiac arrest becomes a household term? And related to that, what does SCA awareness mean to you? I mean, what would you like every household to know about the causes and warning signs to the extent that there can even be any and, and the keys to prevention? Being a survivor, I've been around a lot of survivors at various conferences around the United States in the last 11 years. And I think one thing that really upsets survivors of sudden cardiac arrest is that people were for, well, you, uh, how are you since your heart attack? And survivors, they all learn very rapidly, especially if they have no medical background like I have, the difference between a cardiac arrest, which I articulate, and a, and a, a heart attack. And they get offended because there's a connotation with cardiovascular, myocardial infarction, heart attack, that you don't live a good lifestyle. And there's many of us that lived a very healthy lifestyle that had sudden cardiac arrest and not a heart attack. So everyone in the country, whether it's because of the media or lack of education, they just believe that heart attack and sudden cardiac arrest are synonymous term. They're not. So I think that that's important to educate the public. That's why I think that that is one of my major goals. And we know through some consumer research that was performed by the Sudden Cardiac Arrest Foundation three years ago, that less than 15% of Americans in some eyes know the difference between a heart attack and a sudden cardiac arrest. So we have a big educational process that needs to to take. And then the second part of your question was? Uh, the, the second part of my question was, what would you like every household to know uh, about the causes, any warning signs, and, and what they can do to prevent, which again, you, you went into a little bit beforehand uh, I, in terms I, of lifestyle. I did. Lifestyle is important, but our consumer friends out there probably don't realize that 80% of sudden cardiac arrest happen in the home, which is a huge percentage. And I think that what we have to do is recognize if someone collapses, they're not breathing, there's no pulse, although we don't teach to check pulse anymore, but if you're medically trained, you, you learn to check that, and they're not responsive. In other words, they don't wake up. That's a medical emergency. You call 911, and the treatment is start chest compressions on the chest. With, and the simplest thing is hands-only CPR. You don't have to worry about the breathing in the mouth. And do 100 to 120 compressions on the center of the chest, two, at least two inches deep on an adult. For a child about one and a half, child less than eight years of age. And you don't stop until the paramedics come or someone comes with an AED, automated external defibrillator, and you shock that heart back into a, a, a rhythm. And I think that that's the most important thing. So the public needs to learn CPR. We don't have enough people that know CPR. In my community, fire district of 225,000, only about 20% of people know how to do CPR. And we have one of the highest survival rates, believe it or not, 
in the United States in last year was 67% of witnessed sudden cardiac arrest with a shockable rhythm. A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at choosept.com. You and your wife are involved in, in efforts in California where you live that have trained, uh, I, to my understanding, more than 30,000 people over the past seven years in, again, what you, what you call hands-only CPR and yes. also in the, in the use of an AED, an automated external defibrillator. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, those efforts and, and just kind of specify for people who don't know what you're talking about when you say hands-only CPR? Okay. So um, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. My wife and I, after my cardiac arrest 2008, said, you know, we, we have to be involved in the community. And ironically, uh, the year before my cardiac arrest, I saved a man's life with CPR on a golf course up in Incline Village, Nevada. So we go, hmm, this happened a year ago. Then I had the cardiac arrest. And we said, we've got to do something. So we became involved with a public access defibrillator committee in the Santa Rome Valley Fire District through our fire chief we met and our mayor. And we were very active in this committee, and it changed to what we call a heart-safe community committee, meaning we would push overall cardiac health and get AEDs in the schools and things of that sort. We helped create a seventh-grade CPR program, hands-only, and I'll explain that in a moment, and how to use an AED. So for seven years now, we've been training 3,000 seventh graders a year in hands-only CPR on how to use an AED. We feel we need to change the culture in the United States of America. We need to teach the young people that this is important and you can save a life, especially the chances are you're going to save your mom, dad, brother, sister, because 80% of sudden cardiac arrest happen at home. And we teach them how to recognize it. The person passes out. They're not breathing. They're non-responsive. You call 911. You start the compressions on the chest. So you're not breathing in the mouth. You're not checking the pulse. You're just the most important thing are the chest compressions, 100 to 120 times a minute. In the year 2010, the American Heart Association did some studies, and it was recommended by their expert panels that hands-only CPR without breathing in the mouth was as effective as breathing in the mouth and doing compressions. This changed hugely the public's perception of helping people. And I think that's why we're gradually seeing the survival rate of sudden cardiac arrest improve in the United States of America, and if not, the world. So I hope I explained the differentiation. There. Well, you know, you're right. When, you, when I, I think most people, and myself included, when you talk about CPR, you tend to think about mouth-to-mouth. You right. Can, you, you tend to think that that's something that has to be involved somehow or another, and what you're saying yep. is that's, that's not at all necessarily the case. No. As a matter of fact, uh, many people will not help if they've got to breathe on someone, and that's a known fact. Research has shown that. But they're not afraid to push on a chest, and I want to add for our you know, people, our listeners out there, they don't be afraid to push too hard on the chest. It's normal to hear popping and cracking on the chest. 
And those of us survivors will say, for me, an example, my chest was sore for three months after my rescuer did CPR on me. And if you break a rib, well, you know what? When you're doing CPR on someone, they are clinically dead. They're not going to feel it. You got, you, got, you, you got bigger problems. You got bigger. With. You'd rather be alive <laughs> exactly. with a broken rib than dead. So don't be afraid to push hard and don't stop. <laughs> right. right. So, so, so what I'm hearing is um, if you have a, a, a sudden cardiac arrest, it's, it's probably better to be around a seventh grader in your neighborhood well, than, an yeah. adult, than an adult well, in a lot of other And areas. actually our community is uh, pretty active. You know, we, we, teach, we teach CPR also at public events like art fairs and sidewalk fairs and things like that. And, and we, we, we clap to the beat of staying alive. That's the that's the rhythm that you do the compressions. Ah 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 ah, staying alive. And about two years ago in the summer, a cyclist went to Pete's Coffee in downtown Danville, where I live, and he collapsed. And all of a sudden, someone called nine one one, and and a guy started compressions. And, and I was told I wasn't there. The people were clapping to the beat. Ah 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 ah, staying alive. So this guy to encourage him to keep. Keep the compressions up at a certain beat to that song. So, so even though there's a disco beat, a, a mirror ball need not be involved. No, no mirror balls involved. But just or or think about there's there's some kids that don't know staying alive, you know. True, true. That was I, some I, time ago. Ironically, I tell a story a little funny here for our, our audience and you is that my wedding song for my wife Edie and I was staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> little did you know. That's right. Little did I know. <laughs> 40 years later, or 36, 30 years later, rather, it would hit me. Joe, since uh, you're here with us today and you're a physical therapist, and uh, obviously we're a physical therapy organization, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell me a little bit about physical therapy's role. I mean, what you're saying is that this comes on all of a sudden and you might not need physical therapy at all. So so what is a physical therapist's role in, in, in SCA? I think one of the most important things for a physical therapist is to get is to be trained in CPR and to take an active role in your communities to train others in CPR because that's the treatment right now to help people survive. Believe it or not, in the United States of America, most medical doctors and physical therapists and chiropractors and other healthcare professionals, it's not required to be CPR trained to renew your license every two to three years. In the state of California, where I'm from, it is mandatory. You have to be American Heart, American Red Cross, basic life support healthcare provider trained. And I think that's really important for every physical therapist, one, to be trained, because exercise is the key to what we do. And you think about it, 30% of people that die of sudden cardiac arrest are under the age of 30. So it's not just a, like I've got white hair, it's not just a white hair disease, you know, older people. And you think about as our population is aging more and more, people are having cardiovascular disease that could lead to sudden cardiac arrest. You have to be trained. You, you need to keep your training up. And I think physical therapists should also do perhaps a little better job of screening our patients. You know, ask the simple questions. Do you ever get dizzy when you exercise or do you get short of breath when you exercise? Do you feel palpitations or flutters in your heart? Have you passed out and not found out the reason? If you, any of those four questions, maybe we should be referring 
our patients more to their internist and or cardiologist. I think the other thing is physical therapists need to encourage healthy lifestyle in terms of daily exercise, a minimal of 30 to f- minutes to an hour of, exercise, of aerobic exercise to challenge your heart and to eat correctly. Don't smoke, that's obvious. But, you know, it's these heart-healthy things that we can do more of. And as our profession, the physical therapy profession, progresses towards more a primary care profession, we have that responsibility. And I think it's really important that we as physical therapists take a more active role in these simple screening things. You know, take the blood pressure, take the heart rate, amongst those other four or five questions that I posed. Let me go back just for a second to, sure. to hands-on uh, CPR because people listening to this uh, podcast might not be familiar with CPR in general, and they might deem it as something that's difficult to learn or takes a lot of time and everything. Can mm-hmm. you just talk about what's involved in learning hands-on CPR and how easy or difficult or what duration of process that might be? We do some sidewalk fairs. or We're at a, in San Ramon, California, the Art and Wind Festival, which 50,000 people come to, and we set up a booth. We teach hands-only CPR in five minutes. And I don't think we even define what CPR is. It's called cardiopulmonary resuscitation, chest compressions, you know, just to reiterate that. But we'll teach people in five to eight minutes, recognize the patient, they collapse, check them. Are you okay? Are you okay? If they don't respond, you call 911 and get someone to get an AED. You start chest compressions. We want that to happen with the hands only on the chest, the middle of the chest, all within 10 seconds. And then you're doing your 100 to 120 compressions two inches deep per minute until the paramedics come or someone comes with an AED. That's what we teach. And it really, uh, we'll, we'll do like a post-test. We'll teach the, pay, you know, the, the, the consumer how to do it, the citizen, and then we'll ask them questions. Patient collapses, what do you do next? When do you call 911? <laughs> How deep do you compress? How many times a minute? You know, when do you put the AED on? You put the AED on as soon as possible because the AED is a sophisticated computer that will tell you whether there's a shockable rhythm or not, or it'll tell you continue CPR. So that's how we do it. And it, it could be five to eight minutes. It's not that extensive, Eric. It's a, and it's a life-saving skill. And, and, and not to denigrate our seventh graders, but, I mean, if, if a seventh grader can learn it in, in, in a few minutes, right. you probably can too. Oh, absolutely. And I, we've, we've, we've taught kids that come in with their parents as young as four or five years old. Unfortunately, they're not strong enough to do good compressions because they're just, you know, they're very small. And you've got to use your body weight. That's why I said earlier, don't be afraid to push as hard as you can on that chest and let the chest recoil. If you don't let the chest recoil, then that's not really good technique because the recoiling aspect of it actually has been shown to allow oxygen to be sucked in through the nose and the mouth of the victim with this recoil. And the heart has to, has to you know, have you push the blood out and it's got to come back in to our heart. So, so the time for fear and gentility is probably not when you're performing uh, this action. <sighs> Correct, but you know I've I've saved two lives with CPR, and I've been trained in CPR for over forty years. I mean, I learned in the '60s as a Boy Scout the old method where you didn't breathe and you put the person on their tummy and their hands are up, resting like this, and you pull their arms up. Really antiquated CPR. That's how far back I go. 
And I think that even though I've been trained so long, the two times I did CPR on someone, let me tell you, the adrenaline is pumper, pumping harder than you would ever imagine. And I could have continued the compressions. I remember specifically on the gentleman up in uh, Lake Tahoe area, and I was at 7,000 feet. I did CPR on this guy for 15 minutes before the paramedics came. I was not tired because of the adrenaline. And then I found out the paramedics shocked him, and they got his heart back into rhythm, and they helicoptered him out. He lived. Mm-hmm. And that's the most fulfilling thing that one of the most fulfilling things I've ever has ever happened to me. I'm just curious. You always hear about uh, people um, who've saved other people's lives and, and whether there's a continuing relationship and, and so on afterwards. I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, sure. Are you in touch with those people? I, I'm in touch with one of the gentlemen. He's quite a guy, very grateful, he and his wife. We probably get together the first couple of years after uh, I, I did CPR on him. We probably got together two to three times a year. Now it's about once a year. and I haven't seen him in a year. But as time goes, it's it's uh, 12 years now. Mm. You know, we've kind of lost contact a little bit. But um, it is it is important um, to keep in contact if you can. But some people don't want. They want to end that. Sure. Relish. They don't sure. want to relive it. It's not something it. you want to dwell on. Yeah. It's like my wife doesn't like talking about it. Right. Nor my kids. Right. My wife does talks about it a lot because she and I – teach with these organizations, CPR, and she's over it. But still, it's not bonked. Right, right. (laughs) Well, uh, Joe Farrell, thank you so much for talking with us on Move Forward Radio. We've really appreciated it. Well, thank you, Eric, for taking the time and asking some very thought-provoking questions. And I'm I'm grateful, and I'm hoping that uh, our listeners uh, know that October is National Sudden Cardiac Awareness Month. It was... uh, mandated by the U.S. Congress in 2009, and we're trying to increase awareness of sudden cardiac arrest. Like I said earlier, one of my goals in my second life is to help our listeners and friends and relatives know that cardiac arrest is a big deal, and more people die of cardiac arrest a year than all cancers and all gunshot wounds, car accidents, and even AIDS, things like that combined. It's, it's the number one killer in the country and the World Health Organization predicts by the year 2020, sudden cardiac arrest will be the number one killer in the world. And I thank everyone. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.